Well, good morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors at New Life Church. I'm excited we get to be here, or I get to be here, and I get to uh, speak from Ephesians this morning. So if, if you want, you can turn to Ephesians. Um, but at the beginning of this month, um, my, my wife and my son and I were in Washington, D.C., and uh, we did a lot of walking and a lot of exploring and learning about different monuments and different memorials and different museums. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was there is there's a lot of people here. There are a lot of people here with different languages. They're from different states, different ethnicities, different ideas, different views. And I remember thinking as I was sitting on the metro or walking around, what makes all of these people in common? What makes them normal? What, what is the thing that brings them all together? Because I don't know if you know, Washington, D.C. is a very small place. It's about 68 square miles. It's a very small place. And all these people were coming here because they had something in common. And we walked into the National Archives building and I saw the original Declaration of Independence and I saw the original Constitution and the original Bill of Rights. And I, I was struck by the fact that all of us were coming together because we had a shared identity in those ideas, in those ideas. Um, what is normal between all of us in that place was, was that we were Americans. We had um, a shared foundation in those phrases, those very important phrases on some very old paper. The, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The, the we the people or Congress so makes no, no law infringing religion or press or speech. And whether we knew it or not, we all shared that in common. And as the church, we have even greater words written on old pages, even greater words, a greater shared identity than merely being an American. And this morning, we're going to continue our series um, that answers the question, what is a normal Christian? What, what do we all have in common? What is the baseline? And we want to be normal. We want you to be normal. So we're going to be continuing that series. We're going to be looking at the Connect piece. And if you have this little book um, that we got last week, I don't know if anyone doesn't have a book, they can raise, raise their hand and we can get you another book. There's one in the back, a couple over here. Um, so if you look at this book, this is how New Life Church talks about what we do as a church. And really, the, the mission statement right here, to engage people disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. That is the way New Life Church talks about the mission that the church has been on since the very beginning. The entire church um, has been doing this since the very beginning. And these are the words we use to describe that. So last week, Travis talked about the fact that we serve as a team. So we do service together. And I'm going to talk about the, I can turn to it. We do life together piece right here. We do life together. So that's the connect piece. Um, connect, serve, and engage. We already talked about serve. We're going to talk about connect this morning. And um, before we start talking about Connect, I, I want to remind ourselves about the delight. So let, we're going to be in Ephesians, so turn to Ephesians. I love this book. If you need something to read in your quiet time or you want just something new and fresh, I would highly recommend Ephesians. Take three months, read a chapter or a paragraph at a time once a day. When you get to the end, just start over, pick it apart, learn this book. It is so good. And in Ephesians... 
Paul gives this this grand narrative, this epic story of what God is doing throughout the entirety of the cosmos. And he's doing it through Jesus Christ. And because God is so gracious, we get to be a part of what he is doing. So I'm in chapter two, verse one. Let's read. Let's read there. Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This, this is an amazing progression. Paul addresses the church in Ephesus and the church in Wilsonville um, through these words. He starts with the starkest description of our decrepitude, an explanation of the severity of our state, all the maladies of our past, everything wrong with us in a string of phrases. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Things were not going well if you're dead. You and I were dead, not in a need of a little bit of improvement, not in a little need of a tweak to our mojo or a tweak to our schedule or a tweak to our um, personal way of doing things. We were dead. In the sins in which we once walked, we were the walking dead, following the course of the world. Whatever this world was saying, whatever lie, whatever error, whatever way the world was going that was away from God, You followed that course. I followed that course. We went that direction. And the world followed the prince of the power of the air. This is the deceiver. This is the serpent. This is Satan. And the world followed a spirit that continues to work in the sons of disobedience. And we did the same thing. This is not a good place to be. Our plight is a dire one. And our plight is shared by the rest of mankind who, like us, lived in the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body or minds. And when I say those phrases, many of you thought of something when I said that. The passions of our flesh, the desires of our bodies. We all have a passion or a desire that pulls us. It's in the brokenness of who we are. It pulls us, our souls, our minds, our bodies, down a certain course that we know is not helpful, that we know is broken that we know leads to shame and sin and guilt. The whole world is breaking and those desires that pull us to walk like sons of disobedience are evidence that we too are part of this broken world. Whenever I'm honest with myself, I, I can think into, into my own mind and realize, yeah, I'm broken. Without God, I'm broken. I'm part of all this other stuff that's going on. I'm also tainted by the curse of sin. All of us deep In our bones are children of wrath. This is not good. Talking about delight, right? This is is not good. Paul lays this out and it's not good. But, brothers and sisters, please be reminded that God is in the business of doing the unexpected. That's what he does. He does the unexpected. 
Paul continues, but God, rich in mercy, because he loves you, truly, truly loves you, not the cleaned up you, not the figured out you, not the got your act together you, not the fake you, you dead in your trespasses, that you. God loves you so much that while we were sitting there dead, he made us alive together with Christ. When you were dead, God made you alive. And not just alive, not just breathing again, alive together with Christ. This is the gospel right here. This is the good news. This is the lead that if we were able to put the, the one headline on all the newspapers of all of history, this is the headline. That Christ died for your trespasses and sins, laid deceased in a tomb for three days, and on a glorious Sunday morning by the power of God over sin and death, rose again to victorious life. That's the good news. And this verse is telling us that God links us up with that same life that Jesus has. Paul says we are made alive together with Christ. In the, in the original Greek, in the original way this letter was written, sent to this church in Ephesus, Paul used a single word right there, made alive together with. That's one word. Because the gospel is so crazy, so groundbreaking, so world-changing, there was no word to fit right there. There was nothing that worked. So he put all of these together, made alive together with. He made up a word so that he could succinctly describe how good the good news is. By grace you have been saved. God is gracious. And we don't just stop with life made us alive together with. God raised us up with him and we sit in the heavenly places in Christ. This is crazy. This is mind-boggling stuff. Those who are made alive together, those who used to be dead, those who are made alive together are seated in Christ. If Christ is on a throne, we're on a throne. We are in Christ and the things he is a part of, we are a part of. The things he does, we get to do. There is a spiritual reality in the heavenly places where God is right now that is far greater than you thought when you walked in this morning. It's far better than you thought when you walked in this morning. And you have a God that desires to, for the rest of history, show you how good he is. Verse 7 says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He wants to show you how good he is for the rest of eternity. If you are in Christ, you used to be dead, and now you are alive, together with Christ, in Christ. And we are all in this together. We're all seated in Christ, and you are there together with every other Christian in this room. There's already a togetherness with us, because we're in Christ. And every person in Christ around the globe, and all of history, we're all together in Christ. There's a community that is connected in life. That's delightful. I love that. There's reason to delight right there. That's why we call this church New Life Church. Something completely different than old life is going on when the good news, the gospel, is heard and understood. That's why we delight, because there is new life. If you've never heard that before or you walked in here not understanding that, you may have walked in dead this morning. And I want you to know that Christ died a death for your garbage for your sins and your trespasses, for going down the wrong way. 
And if you hear and believe that, you right now are made alive together with Christ. And that's good news. That's why we show up every Sunday morning and open this book. That's why we sing those songs that remind us of the truth. Because the headline news, the good news, is the best news. That's why we delight. So what happens now? We have a new life, but what do we do? What do we do with this new life? What does a normal new life look like? Can I give you a hint? If you're reading a letter to a church in the Bible... Most of the letters in the New Testament almost invariably start with what the gospel is in the first half. And then at the second half, they flip over to here's what this looks like practically. Here's what we do practically. So let's let's go to the second half of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter four and talk about the practical reality of what new life looks like. So chapter four and verse 11, Paul continues, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul describes the good news at the beginning of Ephesians, the big headlines of what Jesus accomplished, and then he describes what is happening with that news now. Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, but he did not leave the church alone. He did not leave us in the lurch. His plan from the beginning has been to work in and through the church, and he does that through specific ways and people at the local level, at this level right here where we're sitting. He says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. This is, this is kind of easy stuff, right? He gave these five types of people to work within the church in a specific way. I don't want to spend too much time here, but I want you to know that these types of people are in the church and serving the church right now. That's what they're doing. It's, it's interesting, this word shepherd is where we get our word pastor, and for whatever reason, Um, The contemporary American church made this term pastor an office. They said this is an official office and they put all the responsibilities of every one of these people into this little word pastor. And if you're like me, you've you've done this before. Um, Sometimes in our heads we think, well, those five types of people, the pastor, are here to do all the work and we're here to sit and be served. I've thought that. It's okay. You've, You've probably thought that too. Um, but if we look on, we see what is really the plan for the operation of the church. He finishes verse 11, shepherds and teachers, and 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Every one of these people are in the church so that they equip the saints for the work of ministry. They're there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're all in this together. If you are in Christ, you are part of what God is doing in the church. Just like everybody else. Travis did a great job reminding us from Romans about service last week. And I want again to remind us 
that we're in this together. There's not an elite type of Christian that does the service and the ministry and the the heavy lifting and everyone else just watches. That's not how this works. We're in this together. There is a normal Christian and they are involved with connecting and with serving and engaging because they delight. That's how the church works. And they are equipped, you are equipped, we are equipped by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's how God put this together. And what is the goal here in Ephesians 4? In 13 he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The end of the work, the finish line, the big goal, the purpose of the equipping and the work of the saints is unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. We understand this idea of unity. It's that togetherness. It's that commonality in person, that shared faith. And this idea of the knowledge of the Son of God is a personal understanding, a personal recognition of Jesus. Paul says, I want people to recognize who Jesus is. I want them to know who Jesus is. Paul wants us to grow into our understanding of Jesus and also into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You can almost, I I almost picture a filling up in our maturity as we are equipped and as we serve. Maybe we start a little bit less mature and we get filled up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is like, like seeing a young man or a young woman growing into full adulthood, full maturity. When, when they were young, a young man or young woman, they were still a man or a woman. There's no, there's no changing that. But as they grow, as they mature, they, they grow into their stature. You see the guy with his shoulders broaden. He gets taller. He fills in muscle. He, he grows to the fullness of the stature of what it means to be a man. And Paul wants us, God wants us to grow into that measure. Grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says we're in Christ from the beginning, but the goal is for us to grow into the full stature. Our English Bibles say mature manhood, but it is more like perfect man or mature man. Paul wants us to look like Jesus. I love that. Paul wants us to look like Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm one of those five people, five types of people in verse 11. Sometimes as a teacher, sometimes as a shepherd, sometimes different roles. And my main role is to equip and encourage life group leaders. That's what I do here. That's the equipping of the saints that I do at New Life Church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's part of my job. But can I tell you something? This is an aim for a practical reality that is already a spiritual reality. In chapter 2, what does it say? We are all made alive together with Christ. I am in Christ You are in Christ. There is a spiritual reality of unity and togetherness and community that exists. I don't create any new community. You don't get a life group pastor and, oh, we're going to have community now. That's not how that works. It's, It's already there. There's already a spiritual reality of community that's already there. And as we fill in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we are making practical what is already a spiritual reality, a positional reality. That moment you are in Christ, you are in Christ. You can't be any more in Christ. But as you mature and as we mature together in community, we get to see our unity here in the local increase. We get to see maturity happen. We get to see growth happen. And a second thing, I, a pastor, 
that word that we made up, didn't make it up, we just put a lot of meaning into it. I can't make any of this happen on my own. What we do here at New Life Church is we put together life groups. That's, that's our word for that practical community. We put together life groups as a means to cultivate community in a particular location and give people a place to work out building up the body of Christ and attaining unity. Life groups are the place where we can connect. Connect, serve, engage, connect. That's where we connect. Life groups are the place we mature towards the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Life groups are where we slowly begin to align our practical reality to the spiritual reality we have. And where our community begins to look more and more like those who are together in Christ. I can't do that by myself. I can't implement that. I can't say the right words to make that happen. We do this together. And why do we do this? Why do we connect? Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is a system of equipping. Connection and unity are part of God's plan because there is a bunch of junk out there that is not the truth, that is not explaining the full reality of what we have in Christ. There is a bunch of terrible things out there that sound good and sound right. And if you were alone and not with other Christians working towards unity and full maturity, it seems like something worth latching on to. It is too easy to be tossed about. There's too much wind out there. There's too, much, too many storms out there. Too many things that will push us left or right. Paul says, I don't want us to be children. It's too easy for a child to be tossed about. I was walking around D.C. at the beginning of the month with my seven-month-old son. He wasn't walking around. I was walking around, pushing a stroller. And just think about that. I had a seven-month-old in a stroller. I can toss him to and fro wherever I want. If we're going to go right, he's going right. There's nothing he can do to stop us from going right. If we go left, if we go over a hill, if I slam the thing into the curb accidentally because those are taller curbs than I thought, he's tossed about. He can't change that. Also, if you put something in front of him, he will grab it and he will put it in his mouth. He will do that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's good, a healthy thing, something he should eat. It doesn't matter if it's bad, if it's poison. He'll put it in his mouth. It's too easy for he, him to be tossed about. He has not differentiated the good from the bad, the healthy from the poison. And it is so good that he is living in a little community that helps him know what to do, helps him know what to grab onto, helps him learn how to differentiate from good and bad. Paul says, I don't want us to be children. Not only is there bad stuff out there that we need to learn to differentiate from the good, there are bad people out there with cunning and tricks and schemes, and craftiness, and their goal is to toss you about. That's their point. That's what they want to do, is toss you about. New Life Church, I don't want us to be children. And we need to connect into each other for the building up of the body until we all attain the unity of the faith. Because you may know this, the poor doctrine, the lies, the tricks, 
the schemes, they come at the worst possible moments. When life is hard and surprising, that's when that thing you could latch onto shows up. When death of a family member or a friend stares you in the face, that's when that thing pops up. When you lose your job or medical bills just keep coming and you don't know how you're supposed to make that work in the budget, that's when those things pop up. You need someone to sit with you and help you swim true through the waves when they're just big, when the waves are big. Paul continues, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Rather than the schemes and the tricks, the church of Christ does something completely different. When it, com- when it comes together, it speaks the truth in love. And I just love that phrase because there's so much community implicitly sitting there. I could spout off truth all day, all day long and be a jerk, right? And many of you have probably experienced that, hopefully not from me. Um, If so, let's talk later and we'll sort this out. But for me to speak the truth in love, I need to have a relationship with you. I need to care about you. I need to learn how to speak with compassion and patience and humility and learn how you hear things or how you hear certain words and back and forth. I have to I have to care. And as I speak the truth to you in love, you are maturing more into the stature of the fullness of Christ. And as I speak in love, I'm maturing also. God changes both of us by this process. And the reverse happens as well, right? Because it's not just me to you, it's sometimes you to me. You will teach me something and we will both mature. And we will grow up in every way into him, into Jesus, into Christ. We again see the practical The everyday aligning with the reality we have because of the good news. Because we are in Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have community together because the body is from Christ. And Paul uses this this crazy metaphor of the body with its joints and connections and parts. And you you can almost see an anatomy model. Right, with the skeletal structure and then the, the muscle structure and the ligament structure and the nervous and cardiovascular system and skin and all those things getting put together, the human body is a complex system that if any little part is compromised, it's sometimes rendered incapacitated or broken. Have you ever, this is, this is funny, have you ever done one of those infrequent activities that messes up a muscle you forgot you owned? Maybe... In, the, that one in the back of your neck or, or that, that one in your arm and you, you do this activity that you rarely ever do and then you realize, oh, I own that muscle. That's right, I forgot about that muscle. You tweak that forgotten piece and it stops everything. It messes up everything. When I was in D.C., we were walking around a lot because the Lincoln Memorial is, is much further away from the Washington Monument than you think it is. A long ways. And I wore flip-flops for most of that time. Several people went, what a dummy. What a dummy. And I had a sore right where that that strap of the flip-flop goes through your toes. And I I didn't realize it, but as I was walking, I began to scoot my foot back in the flip-flop. And I changed the way I walked. I changed my gait. And, And what happened? I get home. 
and my hip hurt. My hip. I, pre- I preached at, at when Wes Lynn on, on Sunday, and it was kind of like a, like a get, up, get up on the stage type of thing. Because of a small part of my body, a little piece of skin on my foot ruined the whole way I walk. I couldn't walk quickly anymore. The body of the Christ is the same way. Each of us are different kinds of people who think a little different, talk a little different, have a little bit different idea about how something can happen or different skills or different gifts. And Paul is telling us that when we all get connected and work the way in which we are equipped, the body grows. We need every member connected. And the body builds itself up in love. This is the plan for the church. For those who are in Christ, God has launched an astounding rescue mission for the universe. And he has incorporated us into that. Not just the elite Christians, not just the ones that do the equipping. He's incorporated all of us into that. And the way he decided to do that is at the local level, with the community knit together by each one of us. He uses our work and our presence and our speaking the truth in love to build up this body until we reach the unity of the faith and have personal recognition of Jesus. As we commit to that connection both here on Sunday and in life groups throughout the week, Christ makes the body grow until we attain the unity, attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's goals for you and for us are far better than our own goals, far bigger than our own goals, and we get there together. This is normal. This is normal operation for every Christian, everyone in Christ. I am inviting you into normalcy. We do life together. This is how God works in his church, in his body, by us being together. Now, there's plenty of pushback to this kind of involvement. I think part of that is because this is not worldly. This is not a copycat of what the world is doing. No, we, we, have, we have Christian community. No, the world is not doing this at all. This type of community does not stem from the culture. It stems from the gospel, from the good news. And sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable with that kind of commitment, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of connection. Some will say, I just want to delight. I like the good news. I'll be good to go. Can I remind you that we're not just saved out of something We're saved into something. Ephesians 2 doesn't just say he saved us from our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ. We're in this together. You can't just delight. There are normal components that come out of the gospel. And Ephesians 4 assumes that. Some will say, I'll be by myself, or I'm just going to show up to church. This passage has all been based on the assumption that we are in this together. We need you, you need us. Christians are inherently communal. This whole body metaphor shows us that we need each other. This is not, there's not a piece of the body that can say, I'm going to do my own thing, or I don't need you guys, or you don't need me. That's dismemberment. That breaks it. That breaks the body. Some will say, I don't need help. I got this figured out. First off, you need help. Secondly, the body builds itself up in love. That's what the body does. You need connections so that you can attain unity, so you can be part of what's going on, so you can uh, mature into the fullness of the stature of Christ. 
we disciple each other. Hebrews 10 works off this same idea and reminds the church, don't neglect to meet together. We need to do this. Some are thinking about being close to other people and they are scared. You may be sitting there thinking about that phrase from Ephesians 2, the the passions of the body or the desires of the body, and thinking about sin that you have and thinking, "I, I have sin or I have shame that I don't want people to know about. Let me remind us all that we were all dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses in which we once walked. Those paths we once walked or are currently walking or trying to not walk in, sometimes those paths look attractive when we are being tossed to and fro. We need each other to protect ourselves from sin. And God uses community as a place for sin to be confessed and healing to happen and that to be worked through. James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For those who are ashamed or have been shamed or or feel that that weight or that dirtiness on them, 1 John sits in the context of community and fellowship and says, Jesus cleanses us. Others are saying, I have my friends. I don't need to join a life group because I have friends. I have good friends. Let me ask you a piercing question I've been asking myself and I asked, I asked Wesleyan last week. Would you still be friends with those people if God did not exist? Would you still be friends with those people if God did not exist? The reason I'm asking myself this question is because if I say yes to that, I may have a friendship that's based on likes or hobbies, or affinities, or a place we vacation together, rather than a relationship based on a shared identity of being in Christ, being made alive together with Christ. Later on in Ephesians 2, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The gospel is so world-changing that Christ has broken down All the walls of hostility between people that are not alike. Be they different ages, be they different races, have they different interests, or different economic statuses, or different educational backgrounds. Christ breaks those down. Our relationships reflect that reality. In another letter from Paul, he says, We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are part of breaking those walls down. We get to be part of that because we're in Christ. I'm not saying you should kick all your friends to the curb and never talk with them again and sorry, we like each other so we can't hang out. I'm not saying that. But I am saying you should put yourself in a place to be in community with those that share identity with you even if they are not like you in any other way. Good things happen in those type of relationships. The body working together and building itself up in love. As a final encouragement, those people who are in Christ, these people sitting next to you in the chairs, these are the people who will together see Jesus with you. Together we will finally recognize and see Jesus face to face and be with him together forever. To have that personal recognition of Jesus. It's going to be with these people right here. You will see Jesus with them. We ought to practice being together now. So we can more fully share that coming joy together. 
I think that's good. We can together anticipate that. Together look forward to that. Together work toward that. So I've been inviting you into what's normal. I've been inviting you into the way New Life describes it, a life group. So as a little refresher, I want to remind us what life groups do when they connect every week. Um, Life groups are the predominant place growth happens here, where discipleship happens. We practice five things we see the early church practicing in Acts 2. We eat food together. Yeah, you're, you're already pumped about it. I can think of no better way to connect people or bring people that, together than to put food in the middle of a table and say, let's eat, let's do this. Life happens quickly when you're eating together. We fellowship or share life together, and that's the fun and the nitty-gritty, the excitement of newborn babies and the weeping together when someone dies. Birthday parties and angst over tough jobs, we share that together. Not just in that single day when we get together, but throughout the week, we call, we talk, we let's grab lunch, let's talk about this. I don't know how to work through this week. We share life together. We go through the word together. We walk through questions. There's talk sheets in the back. We walk through questions that help us dig deeper into the sermon every week so we can more fully understand the truth and learn how to better read the Bible. We encourage one another as missionaries by praying alongside each other for our neighbors, sharing when we attempt to love people across the street or across the cubicle or in school. And we encourage each other to do that. And we pray together. It's the fifth. Practicing, talking to God, praising Him for who He is, and asking Him for help for the person sitting next to us on the couch. Those are the five things we do. And can I just remind us those that are in life groups, and and warn those that are not, we don't do this perfectly. We're figuring this out. We have not yet attained the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. We're still figuring this out. We're practicing these things. But we're, we're putting ourselves in a place to attain unity of faith so that we can gain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what we do. This is normal. And I want to invite all of us into normal. I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond together with song and and respond to who God is and what he's done. Let's pray. Good Father, thank you for being so compassionate and gracious that you would love us and rescue us in the midst of our walking in sin. Thank you for putting us in Christ and giving us all his benefits. Thank you for including us in what you are doing. Thank you for creating a plan that uses the whole body together to connect and build itself up in love. I ask that you would do that maturity and do that growth in our church in visible and awesome ways. Amen.